Chapter twenty nine of the Ontario Reader's Third Book by the Ontario Ministry of Education. Read for LibriVox.org by Linda Ferguson. Southwest Wind, Esquire by Ruskin. Treasure Valley belonged to three brothers Schwartz, Hans, and Gluck. The two elder brothers were rich, cruel, quarrelsome men who never gave anything in charity. The youngest brother, Gluck, was twelve years old and kind to everyone. He had to act as cook and servant to his brothers. One cold, wet day the brothers went out, telling Gluck to roast a leg of mutton on the spit, let nobody into the house, and let nothing out. After a time someone knocked at the door. Gluck went to the window, opened it, and put his head out to see who it was. It was the most extraordinary-looking little gentleman. He had a very large nose, slightly brass-coloured, very round and very red cheeks, merry eyes, long hair, and moustaches that curled twice round like a corkscrew on each side of his mouth. He was four feet six inches high, and wore a pointed cap as long as himself. It was decorated with a black feather about three feet long. Around his body was folded an enormous black, glossy-looking cloak, much too long for him. As he knocked again, he caught sight of Gluck. "'Hullo,' said the little gentleman. "'That's not the way to answer the door. I'm wet. Let me in.' To do the little gentleman justice, he was wet. His feather hung down between his legs like a beaten puppy's tail, dripping like an umbrella and from the ends of his moustaches the water was running into his waistcoat pockets and out again like a mill-stream. "'I beg pardon, sir,' said Gluck. "'I'm very sorry, but I really can't.' "'Can't what?' said the old gentleman. "'I can't let you in, sir. I can't. Indeed, my brothers would beat me to death, sir, if I thought of such a thing. "'What do you want, sir?' "'Want?' said the old gentleman petulantly. I want fire and shelter, and there's your great fire there, blazing, crackling, and dancing on the walls, with nobody to feel it. Let me in, I say. I only want to warm myself. Gluck had had his head by this time so long out of the window that he began to feel it was really unpleasantly cold, and when he turned and saw the beautiful fire rustling and roaring, and throwing long, bright tongues up the chimney, as if it were licking its chops at the savoury smell of the leg of mutton, his heart melted within him that it should be burning away for nothing. "'He does look very wet,' said little Gluck. "'I'll just let him in for a quarter of an hour.' Roundy went to the door and opened it, and as the little gentleman walked in, through the house came a gust of wind that made the old chimneys totter. "'That's a good boy,' said the little gentleman. "'Never mind your brothers. I'll talk to them.' "'Pray, sir, don't do any such thing,' said Gluck. "'I can't let you stay till they come. They'd be the death of me.' "'Dear me,' said the old gentleman. "'I'm very sorry to hear that.' "'How long may I stay?' "'Only till the mutton's done, sir,' replied Gluck, "'and it's very brown.' Then the old gentleman walked into the kitchen, and sat himself down on the hob, with the top of his cap accommodated up the chimney, for it was a great deal too high for the roof. "'You'll soon dry there, sir,' said Gluck, and sat down again to turn the mutton. But the old gentleman did not dry there, but went on drip-drip-dripping among the cinders, and the fire fizzed and sputtered, and began to look very black and uncomfortable. Never was such a cloak. Every fold in it ran like a gutter. "'I beg pardon, sir,' said Gluck at length, after watching the water spreading in long, quicksilver-like streams over the floor for a quarter of an hour. "'Mayn't I take your cloak?' "'No, thank you,' said the old gentleman. "'Your cap, sir?' "'I'm all right, thank you,' said the old gentleman rather gruffly. "'But, sir,' "'I'm very sorry,' said Gluck, hesitatingly. "'But really, sir, you're putting the fire out.' "'It'll take longer to do the mutton, then,' replied his visitor dryly. 
Gluck was very much puzzled by the behaviour of his guest. It was such a strange mixture of coolness and humility. He turned away at the string meditatively for another five minutes. "'That mutton looks very nice,' said the old gentleman at length. "'Can't you give me a little bit?' "'Impossible, sir,' said Gluck. "'I'm very hungry,' continued the old gentleman. "'I've had nothing to eat yesterday, nor to-day. They surely couldn't miss a bit from the knuckle.' He spoke in so very melancholy a tone that it quite melted Gluck's heart. "'They promised me one slice to-day, sir,' said he. "'I can give you that, but not a bit more.' "'That's a good boy,' said the old gentleman again. Then Gluck warmed a plate and sharpened a knife. "'I don't care if I do get beaten for it,' thought he. Just as he had cut a large slice out of the mutton, there came a tremendous rap at the door. The old gentleman jumped off the hob, as if it had suddenly become inconveniently warm. Gluck fitted the slice into the mutton again, with desperate efforts at exactitude, and ran to open the door. "'What did you keep us waiting in the rain for?' said Schwartz, as he walked in, throwing his umbrella in Gluck's face. "'Aye, what for indeed, you little vagabond?' said Hans, administering an educational box on the ear as he followed his brother into the kitchen. "'Bless my soul!' said Schwartz, when he opened the door. "'Amen!' said the little gentleman, who had taken his cap off, and was standing in the middle of the kitchen, bowing with the utmost possible velocity. "'Who's that?' said Schwartz, catching up a rolling pin and turning to Gluck with a fierce frown. "'I don't know indeed, brother,' said Gluck, in great terror. "'How did he get in?' roared Schwartz. "'My dear brother,' said Gluck, deprecatingly, "'he was so very wet.' The rolling pin was descending on Gluck's head, but at the instant the old gentleman interposed his conical cap, on which it crashed with a shock that shook the water out of it all over the room. What was very odd, the rolling pin no sooner touched the cap than it flew out of Schwartz's hand, spinning like a straw in a high wind, and fell into the corner at the farther end of the room. "'Who are you, sir?' demanded Schwartz, turning upon him. "'What's your business?' snarled Hans. "'I'm a poor old man, sir.' the little gentleman began very modestly, and I saw your fire through the window and begged shelter for a quarter of an hour. "'Have the goodness to walk out again, then,' said Schwartz. "'We've quite enough water in our kitchen without making it a drying house.' "'It is a cold day to turn an old man out in, sir. Look at my grey hairs.' They hung down to his shoulders. "'Aye,' said Hans, "'there are enough of them to keep you warm. Walk.' "'I'm very, very hungry, sir. Couldn't you spare me a bit of bread before I go?' "'Bread! Indeed! "'Deed,' said Schwartz, "'do you suppose we've nothing to do with our bread "'but to give it to such red-nosed fellows as you?' "'Why don't you sell your feather?' said Hans, sneeringly. "'Out with you.' "'A little bit,' said the old gentleman. "'Be off,' said Schwartz. "'Pray, gentlemen.' "'Off and be hanged,' cried Hans, seizing him by the collar. "'But he had no sooner touched the old gentleman's collar "'than away he went after the rolling pin, "'spinning round and round till he fell into the corner on the top of it. Then Schwartz was very angry, and ran at the old gentleman to turn him out, but he also had hardly touched him, when away he went after Hans and the rolling-pin, and hit his head against the wall as he tumbled into the corner, and so there they lay, all three. Then the old gentleman spun himself round with velocity in the opposite direction, continued to spin until his long cloak was all wound neatly about him, clapped his cap on his head, very much on one side, for it could not stand upright without going through the ceiling, gave an additional twist to his corkscrew moustaches, and replied with perfect coolness, "'Gentlemen, I wish you a very good morning. At twelve o'clock to-night I'll call again. After such a refusal of hospitality as I have just experienced, you will not be surprised if that visit is the last I ever pay you.' "'If I ever catch you here again,' muttered Schwartz, coming half-frightened out of the corner. But before he could finish his sentence, the old gentleman had shut the house-door behind him with a great bang, 
and past the window at the same instant drove a wreath of ragged cloud that whirled and rolled away down the valley in all manner of shapes, turning over and over in the air and melting away at last in a gush of rain. "'A very pretty business indeed, Mr. Gluck,' said Schwartz. "'Dish the mutton, sir, if I ever catch you at such a trick again. Bless me why the mutton's been cut.' "'You promised me one slice, brother, you know,' said Gluck. "'Oh, and you were cutting it hot, I suppose, and going to catch all the gravy. It'll be long before I promise you such a thing again. Leave the room, sir, and have the kindness to wait in the coal cellar till I call you.' Gluck left the room melancholy enough. The brothers ate as much mutton as they could, locked the rest in the cupboard, and proceeded to get very drunk after dinner. Such a night as it was, howling wind and rushing rain without intermission. The brothers had just sense enough left to put up all the shutters and double-bar the door before they went to bed. They usually slept in the same room. As the clock struck twelve, they were both awakened by a tremendous crash. Their door burst open with a violence that shook the house from top to bottom. "'What's that?' cried Schwartz, starting up in his bed. "'Only I,' said the little gentleman. The two brothers sat up on their bolster and stared into the darkness. The room was full of water, and by a misty moonbeam which found its way through a hole in the shutter, they could see, in the midst of it, an enormous foam globe, spinning round and bobbing up and down like a cork, on which, as on a most luxurious cushion, reclined the little old gentleman, cap and all. There was plenty of room for it now, for the roof was off. "'Sorry to incommode you,' said the visitor ironically. "'I'm afraid your beds are dampish. Perhaps you had better go to your brother's room. I've left the ceiling on there.' They required no second admonition, but rushed into Gluck's room, wet through and in an agony of fear. "'You'll find my card on the kitchen table,' the old gentleman called after them. "'Remember, the last visit?' "'Pray heaven it may be,' said Schwartz, shuddering, and the foam globe disappeared. Dawn came at last, and the two brothers looked out of Gluck's little window in the morning. The treasure valley was one mass of ruin and desolation. The inundation had swept away trees, crops, and cattle— and left, in their stead, a waste of red sand and grey mud. The two brothers crept, shivering and horror-struck, into the kitchen. The water had gutted the whole first floor. Corn, money, almost every movable thing had been swept away, and there was left only a small white card on the kitchen table. On it, in large, breezy, long-legged letters, were engraved the words, South West Wind Esquire. Ruskin, the King of the Golden River, Adapted. The cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which it inherits, shall dissolve, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Shakespeare End of section 29 This recording is in the public domain.